Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Pam Toll. And in addition to being your own, an artist yourself, as well as an associate, a tenured associate professor at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, you are also the founder of Acme Art and the founder of No Boundaries Artist Colony. Right? Right. Great. The two biggest things that I'm most interested in are the fact that you created Acme Art, which is a, how, how large is this space? I think it's 15,000 square feet. Okay, 15,000 square feet with how many artists in it? 21 artists and a gallery. And it was created in 1991. So what brought you to the, the idea of doing this? I mean, that's a very, you know, as an artist, you have enough on your plate just trying to be an artist and sell your work and exhibit your work and all that. And you took on the you know, what I see as sort of monumental task of like creating a studio for artists as well. So what, what helps you, what encouraged you to create it and sort of why did you do it? Why this place? So on. I think actually you're talking about working artists. There were, I think there was a, a group of artists who felt frustrated about that they weren't making art and that they didn't have a place to make art. And we got word that there was a figure drawing group over at Brick Mob's place on 4th Street. So we just started gravitating there. And we had another meeting too, in which there were various artists of music, musicians, theater folk, film people, visual artists were gathering there. And out of that spun this group of visual artists who met and did these action projects. So we painted suitcases and we were going to take the ferry over to Carolina Beach, you know, and take our suitcases with them. We had these art kind of happenings and action group things. And out of that, there were about seven of us that really had a drive to find a place to work. And we, and always in that, that uh, equation was the idea of a community. And uh, that was a common goal. And we were really, we did a really wise thing. We started looking around for a building and we scoured, pretty much scoured, and we found this building, which was in a uh, kind of a neglected neighborhood. There were a lot of empty houses. A lot of the people that lived here had seen their neighborhood, which was pretty nice, go down the tubes, and they were pretty happy to see us in here because there was a, a furniture storage place here, and they'd, the trucks would knock the electricity out in the neighborhood. So some things like that, they, were, they really welcomed us into the neighborhood. We rented it with an option to buy, the building we rented with an option to buy, and we had, it had plenty of space and electricity and a toilet, so... All, all ready to go. Everything like, artists need. Right, because we looked at other places where there was something missing. We would have to, and we didn't have a lot of cash. So with just pretty much sweat, we sectioned off with tape, basically our various studios, and there was this huge cavernous center place. That in the early years we had theater groups that practiced in there, music groups that practiced figure drawing. There's a lot of activity in that big space and 
So even now there's a fairly big space in the center for that kind of thing. One of the really great things that we did is there was a, a minister artist here in town who uh, was a, a blacksmith and we asked him to come and arbitrate our goals to, to sit with us and let us hammer out what our goals were with somebody arbitrating. And that was a brilliant idea and that's when we decided we we all wanted a community that we that was really important that was really as important in its way as having places to work. Having places to work was really important too. But that I think that made things pretty healthy from the beginning. Uh, there were seven of us that were involved in the beginning. John Peckham, Rick Mobbs, Marshall Milton, Dick Roberts, Carol Collier, Wayne Upchurch, and me. And then it coalesced down to five of us, uh, Marshall, Dick, Carol, me, and a guy who's no longer in the group, and uh, now Jan Ryan. And so th is this a for-profit, non-profit? It's for-profit. We, we batted around that around. And we decided that we wanted to pilot our own ship. So we set it up as a C-Corp. There's plenty of people who wanted to do this, and I kept saying, it's not a real moneymaker. <laughs> the real estate, sure, but there, it's not a moneymaker because to make it work, you had to make it affordable for artists. So. Yeah, I mean, this is really important because, like, I've been in many different cities where, like, a developer will go in and say, hey, I can take this old warehouse and renovate it and then make it into artist studios. And I keep going, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, you just find an empty space and you just call it artist studios. You have no need to renovate. <laughs> the artists will make it their own. You know, they'll build their own walls and whatever they need. But, like, don't renovate it because you're going to make the price too high for us. Right. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, the, the rents in here were fifty dollars a month. Nice. <laughs> and they're really not. They're really not. They're about three fifty is about the highest rent now. So we never let. We, the rent never went up a whole lot as we went along. So that therefore we were always with a waiting list, pretty much. Not so much in the non-air conditioning years, because about four or five years ago we put air conditioning in here, and if we had known that it really wasn't much more expensive than what we were doing before. We would have done it sooner. But it's changed, like the bill, the monthly bill is, it's not two times what it was. It was maybe a, a third again. You know I mean? It's like, it's not so outrageous. And it's so much more comfortable. And there's really nobody fleeing in the summer anymore. I remember coming here in the summer sometime and it was completely unbearable. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but I, I'm also a sweater, so... Like, oh, I would, I'd be dripping on my art. It was awful. Yeah. So the structure of it, so there are five sort of core people at this mm -hmm. point that, yes. that are doing it, and then, then you chose outsiders to come in. One thing I always wonder about, like when I see artist studios throughout the world, is always the, the concern of like, how do you choose the right people? Like, because I'm sure you've had some flaky people that come in and then they don't pay the rent or they damage things or whatever. Like how, what are some of the characteristics of like the, the sort of, I don't know, serious artists that you found that were able to sort of do it well? well you know, what's really interesting is the, the trust that we had from the beginning because they're really on, you can't believe it, but there's really been no theft any, nothing like that in the 30 years we've been sitting here. Very rarely has something gone walking out the door. It's really interesting. 
In fact, one person kind of questioned the missing doors, and and that was the first time I even thought about it. And then I was worried about him <laughs> because it never really even came up in my mind. But there's a, a tremendous trust in the in this community, and the artist. That's been interesting because that's evolved. We had we've had some yes, we've had some troubled souls in here for sure, and you know, I could go off onto. No need to say specific but, names. No, I'm not going to do that. But I was just thinking about myself and the the way I was raised and how I've how I've learned to have boundaries. <laughs> I have a, a, I have an, a, a, the colony is called No Boundaries, but I have learned so much about having boundaries by do, doing Acme and No Boundaries. Because in Acme, I've wanted to rescue people, but it's not really that doesn't really work. <laughs> but so then it got to where there were more more serious artists that were coming in here and it just evolved because in the beginning there were there were people who weren't really committed and I think part of that too when we had the rent so cheap then it, there wasn't even that commitment uh, that people were making but that's just been a lot of luck I think honestly and the good vibe that we have here I, I think there was more choice involved in the the art residency program we put together than there than in this pro program here we we pretty much let anybody come in no matter what they did if they had a real yearn yearning to be an artist and they were willing to fork over some money to have a studio we were we welcomed them and a lot of them got some good breaks coming in here you know early i know there's a one of my former students is in one of these studios and she's selling work and she's running to the movies and she's you know gotten a lot of opportunity by being in this group that's been here a long time when people are looking for art they tend to come here because there's so many artists in one place that there's a lot of opportunity that comes that's shared well, what what okay what about that so like you all are you have a studio you also have gallery here and then what about sales? Like, so are some of you all represented at galleries? And so, like, do you deal? Do some you of us sell from the studio also because mm -hmm. sometimes that's a bit questionable. Well, the thing we've figured out, right? We didn't. We don't take a percentage. That's the artist gets to have a show in here. I'll just go sign up on the calendar, and we're part of the fourth Friday, so we pay for the publicity for that. It's not really like a gallery because there's not regular hours, but there's, you know, you can make appointments to get in here. Tell me that question again. Ask me that question again. Dealing with the nature of oh, the being, sales, rep sales. being okay. represented and, right. and selling right. out of the gallery because so of course we all many hear people bad sell their own work out of here, and that's fine. And uh, we, and then lately there has been a dealer here in town who's pretty interested, and several of us in here and. So we're giving her a chance to do what she does because, frankly, for me, I'd rather be making the art than trying to figure out a way to sell it. So, Well, and that sort of goes back to my like initial idea about talking to you about this, which is like you are an artist and you also teach. So that's those you got like two full time jobs already, mm -hmm. and then you, and then on top of that, you took on the responsibility of founding a, a, an artist's studio, and then on top of that, you said, "Oh, well, and let's create a residency program." So, but which are not necessary, but 
there was something about you that sort of made you want to do these things. Yes, and I think that, you know, I, I think there's a another, well, there's an economy that is t- it's very interesting because my father was a free market economist, but I think there's such a thing as a gift economy. And I really do think that it's a pretty... I mean, I, don't, I can't, you can't blanket say it's a generous group of people, but there is a generosity in people who pursue something that they don't get stroked for, they don't get a, a time card, and they don't often get praise or sales, but they're, they continue to make something that's important to the community. I mean, in some we hope. way. We, we hope. Yeah, I don't think we'd be here if it weren't important to the community. I mean, I don't think this place would exist if it... It had to be sustained at some point by everybody who's in here in the community. Could. So, do you have? So, does the Acme Art have any sort of um, strategic planning, growth, like intentions of no. future? <laughs> well, every once in a while, we'll get a, be in our bonnets. Like right now, we decided we're going to get industrial gutters on the front because my studio continually floods when there's lots of rain. So we come up to these projects. We got a new roof twice in this, the rain, the, the 30 years, and that's not a cheap thing. And we put in some skylights. And, you know, so there's these, we get these impulses to do some new things. But in the beginning, it was just sweat. We, we worked really hard for five years. You know, building walls, mudding walls, painting walls, uh, you know, getting the plumbing fixed. Well, you all were pretty well established by the time I arrived in 2002, I think. Okay, yeah, so that was 10 years later. Yeah, Yeah. you all were pretty well established by the time I'd even arrived here. Yeah, in the beginning, uh, all the owners were paying rent, too. As as it got more successful, now the money is used for taxes, which are pretty high, and utilities and uh, the fourth Friday and the upkeep and all that. So we, we have enough rent to be able to stay, stay here, be here, you know. It's okay, one thing that actually I always wonder about when it comes to artist studios, uh, insurance. Do you all co- like do insurance or like do individual artists do their own insurance? Like how is that? If the contents of the studio is insured, that has to be done by the artist. We have a general policy for the building, for liability, for, you know, but not property, because there's really, Acme doesn't have any property. Even the business property, we really don't have anything, you know. It's like we have a safe over there that we found. It's old, you know what I mean? Everything in here is old and found on the side of the street. (laughs) I've never been in an artist studio that had new stuff, unless unless it's like somebody who does like 3D printing or some high-tech stuff. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's sort of the fun of it to me. Yeah. Every artist, like, I mean, in my lifetime, I've thought, like, oh, God, wouldn't it be great to, like, run an artist studio? That'd be so much fun. Is it really fun? It sort of runs itself. Honestly, at this point, I tell you, I, I, I'm the treasurer, so I get, I'd keep the books and i take them to the, to the tax guy and uh, pay the bills and make the deposits. But that's a, really, then there's other people who call the repair people and are here for the repair people. And it's ba- basically run by Marshall and Dick and I. And we've spread to our strengths the jobs. And honestly, 
you know, around tax time, I'm really busy with ACME stuff. But uh, at the day-to-day, we have, well, we have, there's a gr- artist in here who's really been our liaison with everybody and helps with everything, too, and that's Michael Van Hout, who um, is just a wonderful person and a people person, and he's been really important for this whole thing to work, too, for a long time. He's, uh, Carol Collier, one of our partners, lives in San Francisco now, and he he lives in, well, he doesn't live, he works in Carol Collier's studio, and he's a terrific guy. Yeah, no, he's a really, he's a really essential part of, of the way, this running, you know, so, and he, he gets paid. All right, so now, the, it, it's not run in any way that's... Um, as you said earlier, it's not like a money-making thing. It's about no. basically about creating something that's stable, that nobody has to worry about, that will be here, that you can rely on it kind of thing. Uh, you know, place isn't going to close, but it's not necessarily going to be like a huge investing money-making venture. So oh, like, no. the idea of creating a, an artist studio to make money is a bad idea. Yeah, I, I don't think it, it's viable. <laughs> But there are a lot of people that do think it's fine. I know, and I'm always surprised because plenty of people have, you know, said they were going to do that or whatever. And I always say, mm, you if you plan on getting rich off of it, you're not going to, it's not going to. And I think that's one of the things that made this a success is in the beginning, I remember thinking, well, Marshall has all that equipment over there. I have one plug. <laughs> you know, you start thinking how the, the utilities are divvied up. And I, I, at that moment, I went, don't even go there. Yeah. If you start going there, you are going to be miserable. Yeah. It's all, we're all in. That's it. Yeah, we're don't all nickel in. and dime no. it. Don't do any of that kind of if stuff. If we did any of that, you got, if we had gotten like that, if we'd paid ourselves even, I think it could have been more problematic. We don't pay ourselves. We're, you know, we're just here working. Okay. Now, you also created, or was one of the founding members of, I shouldn't say mm-hmm. you created. There were three of us. No Boundaries Artist Residency. Right. And it's a little, it's really a subset, you know, because Gail, I met at Rick's. And then, uh, and she wanted to buy in at some point, but the guy that was selling didn't sell to her. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But Dick and, and I and uh, Gail set this up in... About, I think around, we had these shows in the beginning before we even had Acme. They were called Full Moon Shows. And the very first one we had, it was down at the Cafe Phoenix. And we had the upstairs hung with art. We had a dancer. We had a reading. We had, it was some music. And then we had another one. And it was in three locations downtown. And then when we got here, we had a big blowout one. And one month, one year, we had a Hunter Moon Festival, which was three days long. And we had a theater, and we rolled a piano in here. I have a friend who's an opera singer. She came from Chapel Hill and sang, and, and she had just been on Fulbright in Macedonia. Terry Rhodes is her name. And she said, Pam, have you heard, you know, I was just in this place. I practiced the piano at the National Gallery. There's 13 art colonies in this little country, and you really ought to go there. Somewhat, you know, you the artists should try to go to this these art colonies. So I sent my slides and Vita to slides. That's yeah, cute. back in then, yeah. yeah, to to this woman, 
in Skopje, Macedonia, and she sent me to an art colony on the Bulgarian border, a monastery called St. Joachim Osvogoski. And I went there, and I think about that sometimes. I think, what, what a lot of nerve. I, I got on that plane. I hadn't talked to anybody. I didn't have the money in my pocket. I didn't know how to speak the language. I just landed in this completely foreign place with really, I don't know. And then I went, went around asking if somebody spoke English. And then somebody went, Pamela! So, so they found me, and I had a life-changing experience. And there was such a generosity. This was a, a country that was very, it's very, well, they're doing better now, but they were so poor. Wait, what year was this? 1994. So the war was going on in Serbia. And there was a blocked borders. They were kind of, and they were like trying to keep peace in Macedonia. And there were a lot of peacekeeping troops in UN trucks and everything. There were curfews at night. But I was just embraced in every way as a person and an artist and it was just amazing so and I met all these artists from all over the world and it was a real challenge and a really exceptional experience and when I came home you know I was asked to come again the next year and they said bring somebody with you and I brought Gail with me and Gail and I had a great time and the next year Dick sent his materials, and he went, and I went with him. And I had, from the very first year, had said, I'm going to have a, you wait, I'm bringing you to the United States. I'm going to have a colony. And Sergey says he remembers that, and he just thought, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and the guy, there, there was, a, I met with a, an artist named Gligor Chimersky, uh, the woman who I wrote the letter to, Minkan Karap. I can't even say her last name. It starts with a K. <laughs> it's with an A. And then Jordan, also with a very difficult last name. But he was the director of the art colony. And they said, you must be an ambassador. You know, we want you to go back and we want you to write the president. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, they don't know how big the United States no, is. Yeah, they don't get it. <laughs> they don't know how unimportant I am. So I wrote a letter, though, when I got back. And I got a really thoughtful reply from this diplomat, Christopher Hill, who ended up being the first ambassador to Macedonia. But he wrote me a beautiful letter. He said, there's no, I told him I was going to have this art colony. And he said, that is just great. That's so, you know, such great, that's diplomacy, you know, to do that. And so I, you know, it put it in motion, but I didn't know how the heck I was going to do it. And I, I remember thinking three years have gone by, you know, like I was, not on, I wasn't getting it done. How was I going to do it? And then, of course, after Dick and Gail went, they were like, we're, we're on board. Let's do this, you know. And Dick looked into Black Mountain because that had such a history. I love yeah. Black Mountain College. Yeah, so, but it was going to be a difficult thing because we, we were going to have to pay for it. We were going to have to do a lot of transporting. We didn't have the resources up there. We had all the resources here. So I had swam masters swim team at the YMCA, and I had met Kent Mitchell, who owned the island, Baldhead Island. And which is, by the way, a ridiculous statement that you just made. I know this man that you met at the Y who owns an island. <laughs> yeah, well, it was 
and it was swimming that got that island because his father was a billionaire and he and his brother went over there surfing. And I believe it, the plan was for it to be all condos. And this Kent had gone to Harvard Architecture School. He had an environmental plan, you know, and it's been really beautifully developed over there because about two-thirds of the island still natural. Yeah, preserve. just to be clear for the listeners, this is a place called Baldhead Island, which is off the coast of... Uh, Southport, North mm-hmm. Carolina, which is this absolutely stunning place that's uh, very decadent. Primordial. Well, decadent on one end. Right. And very natural and very environmentally friendly on the opposite end. Like there are no cars on the entire no. island. It's all right. uh, go-karts and things like this, which is I always thoroughly enjoyed. And beautiful houses with great views. I mean, absolutely gorgeous place. Yeah, beautifully planned. And I, I remember the first year I went over there, it was in the 80s, and there weren't even phones. They had radios. It was like crazy. But but anyway, he had a really great plan, and he was a, a very wonderful guy. And I had taken, I had, his wife had taken painting lessons from me. And she said, do you know about the residency program we have over there where a person can stay in one of the, Captain Charlie's cottages and just leave a painting and I said no but I'd like to do that so I did that I can't remember when what year that was but I did that and then I was like this is the place three houses just to be clear Captain Charlie's cabin or cottage was it it was part of the old lighthouse is that right yes this was the old lighthouse keeper cottages there they were built in the early 1900s and they had little storage spaces behind them for food, for staying there. You couldn't even see another house in the beginning when we were over there. It was just this beautiful stretch of beach, uninhabited. It, it just, I mean, deer coming out at night, just beautiful place. And it still is. It really is. And so it, it started with that they were already doing sort of mm-hmm. a residency, they were. but just sort of one by one. Right. And then you all stepped up and said, hey, let's, let's well, make this Well, I wrote him a letter, and I was asking for all three houses, and I went, I haven't got the nerve to send this. And then I ran into him downtown, and I said, Kent, I have an idea. I have this idea. He said, okay, let's go get a cup of coffee and talk about it. That was it. He said he, he was in. He was like, he knew that art was, art, what was an important thing that was missing from over there, and he, you know, and I always thought he would end up coming over there and making art with us, but he never did. But uh, he, he was very supportive. Now, the deal that you sort of that they had previously, and then you have now still with through No Boundaries, is basically an artist comes and they do their residency time, and then they leave a piece of art for mm-hmm. the collection. Yes, is that collection kept as part of No Boundaries, or is that part no. of Baldhead Island? There's a Baldhead Island collection, and there's a No Boundaries collection. There's two two different ones. No boundaries. We've sold work to keep go- keep ourselves mo- moving. That was one of the things we did with the collection. <laughs> we, there's some things that we've held on to. You know, do you still some, have my some, piece? I think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you do. Well, I'll tell you what really is really interesting is there there was a, a so this is the way that went. So you we would choose people, but a lot of the choosing was done through our experience in other colonies and through the recommendations of people that we respected. Because there's two things, you had, you had to be good at art, but you also had to be able to get along with a lot of people. 
It was not a place you could be alone. <laughs> it, it's kind of summer camp. I mean, you're right. pretty crowded. And, you know, right. you're staying in, you know, what, four or five to a house, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, at times it was more than that. Yeah. yeah, and you're doing communal meals mm-hmm. and, and doing some events together, but like all day you're left to your own devices to do as you wish. Right, right. There was a show that Gail and Dick and I were in with Gligar Chimersky and a couple other Macedonians in Carborough. And I can't remember how that all came about, but there were some people that were coming to Carborough too from Macedonia. So, as one does. Carborough, yeah, Macedonia, yeah, of course. Right, right. So... I've never had been much for openings and chit-chat. So I was like, I wandered over next across the street because there was an exhibition over there. And it was breathtaking. It was a Peruvian weaver who did these weavings and tapestries that just were incredible. I ran to find him. And I told him we had this heart calling and would he be interested in coming? And then I went and got Dick and Gail Brought him over there to meet him, and this guy, Maximo Laura, he ended up coming. He has a museum in Peru. He has work in the Native American Museum in the Smithsonian. I mean, he, you know, so some people just came to us like that, and I just think it's so cool that he came to the colony. You know, he he's not really a painter, but, uh, of course, he was painting designs for his weavings, but... There's been some extraordinary luck like that, gut luck, for artists that we've had. We had another artist, just marvelous, Sammy Nicely from Atlanta. He had a show over at UNCW. I went in there, and I just the energy of that show. I was like, where is he? <laughs> and then that was the last minute. I said, uh, Dick and Gail, we've got our list, and they're coming. Because it was only about a month before. I said, what do you think about adding this person to the group? And they said, great and it was great he was really great okay but let's go back a little bit to the nuts and bolts of sort of how the thing is structured so if i remember correctly it's like three week long two weeks two week long and so it's two weeks generally in early winter if i remember november November, yeah and a very it was a very off season in baldhood and we always laughed and said this is the best the best two weeks in the whole year yeah but it was like nobody was over there yeah all the summer tourists are gone and it's not too cold so it's actually really really lovely over there right so the the the, uh, package from kent included a barge and a truck to get supplies over um housekeeping rollaways added into rooms the houses i mean he really and at one point he was even helping us with the catalog but if it weren't for this community that we live in again it would have been very difficult to do without the community because the community people came in here dozens of people and helped stretch 100 canvases and gesso them we had canvas like canvas what do you call it when you're a a labyrinth in the, the gallery so many wet canvases and you know, and blistered fingers from stretching canvases, and then there, then we had a person who would call great cooks in the neighborhood, and uh, and there was all these great cooks, and they they got the they got to stay overnight. Uh, they had a room, and they would make these fabulous meals every night, and that really got stepped up even more when Beth Crookham became the director for a while as she knew everybody ran restaurants in town we had people uh, chefs from Mana. we had chefs from 
old little pond catering, RX, and I can't pinpoint. I mean, we have had some unbelievable food mm-hmm. served oh, us over that. there. Yeah. yeah. So that was, you know, and that was like, that's expensive too. If you have to buy all that food, I mean, they were really giving us something wonderful. And now uh, they've set up a house separate from the three houses where they can stay with their family. Wow. So it's, you know, it's a good, better deal for them now than it, it was even then. But they, and they get to fish or do whatever they want to do on the island. For well, I remember the year I went was the year that the brand new kitchen had been completed. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I didn't, I never saw the old kitchen, but the new kitchen was amazing. Yeah. He, he can't did that just for the no boundaries. Oh. He made a long kitchen so we could sit at a big, long table. Mm-hmm. And there used to be a porch off the back, and he made a bathroom out of that. And mm-hmm. It was a beautiful kitchen. Yeah. Like, absolutely exquisite. And all those porches in the back were made because of no boundaries. And the, those back decks that are down in the dunes. So it sounds like a lot of the stuff that happened, and, and still happens, I should say, because this is still, still continuing. Going. right. Is that it came up because of sort of partnerships and relationships and, and mm-hmm. sponsorships and whatever, I don't know what mm-hmm. words you want to put to it. Like right, we had some it. very generous sponsors who, who, you know, believed in what we were doing and gave us money, too. They were, it, it was interesting because it became, it really seemed easier to go out and to somebody you knew was supportive of the arts and say, look, we need this money. And instead, that was easier than writing a grant, to be frank, and we get more money. Well, that's how I was just about to be clear. Like, so No Boundaries is nonprofit. Yes. Okay, so that's a just yes. very distinct big difference right. on that. Right, right. So now, as an artist residency, you then also applied for grants and asked for support. We did do like that. This. How did that go? We, we didn't get anything in the beginning. We, then we started getting grants but they were you know the max was about 2000 and we had private people who gave us 8000 you know so it was it, it was for the work that had to go into it and given that we didn't have a grant writer we didn't pay nobody was getting paid to run this thing it was just all mom and pop you know um it was passion a passion for it you know dick and gill and i had a passion for it and it was something, we, we, we saw the generosity that was given to us from a country that was so poor. It was like, man, we gotta make, we gotta let, make this gift go forward. This gift's gotta go forward. And in, in distinctly, I, I remember one, I, I got involved in a group called Paint a Future, which I could go on and on about, and you have to, you have to look. But <laughs> very interestingly, I was like seeing this energy energy guy and he told me you need to quit painting the past you need to paint the future and the next day this, i was making my coffee and this woman from holland called me and said uh a f- this man in france said i need to call you uh i have a project called paint a future and i was like i'm doing it i don't even know what it is but i'm doing it because and i told her the story she said oh i find this happens all the time so she the first one i went to the first project i went to was in brazil she brought all these great artists down there to this resort in an off-season. She'd met some guy on an airplane. We were on this island off of Brazil. Unbelievable. Rode out there with a rowboat with, like, canvases up to here. And, uh, and then she was going to the Flavias, the, the slums and the, uh, with the kids in Brazil. And she was giving them paintbrushes and paper, and she said, 
She'd make them close their eyes and wave their paintbrushes like magic wands and say, I want you to paint what you want, what you would really want in the future. And then she brought all these paintings on this brown craft paper over there where we were. And she told us we were to make a painting with these kids, a collaboration with these kids, and the paintings would be sold to fulfill the dreams of the kids. <laughs> I've never been involved in anything so wonderful. And so <laughs> you couldn't pick a drawing up. You couldn't put it back down. We were painting furiously, you know, making these paintings. How long was that? Event? That was a two-week thing. And, and it was just a beautiful environment, wonderful artists, and the greatest, you know, thing we were doing. And that first year, two of my paintings sold for people to get houses, like to have their houses redone. I mean, it was so powerful. And then I brought, then another funny thing is she sent all these paintings with me for a show in the Atlanta airport. And I wrapped them all up, you know, with plastic and I had them in the, and then I got to Atlanta and because since you had to, you know, show your passport and everything, I was just going to get those paintings and deliver them and then get back on the plane to go to, well, they didn't come off the plane. <laughs> they were sent on forward to <laughs> Wilmington. And it was like, you know what a nightmare that can be, but this is the magic of that project. I went, I, I finally went to this guy and he said, he took my name with a piece of paper and he put it in his pocket said, let me put that in my file. We'll take care of it. And he did. They came to me. I sent them back to him. I didn't have to pay anything. Yeah, that never happens, but it was a magic. It was magic. And, and a painting sold, one of my paintings sold there, too. And, then, and since then, I went to France, Rouillet, France, Plettenberg, South Afri Africa. Gail and I ended up on an Indian reservation here in the U.S., in South Dakota. The Lakota like Sioux? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. My father worked there for a while. Yeah. So we had, we, we, that was just an incredible project. And a lot of us got involved. So what I was going to say is, so when I got involved in that, I met all these great artists. So I said, you want to come to No Boundaries? You know, and one year we invited a Spanish man who I met in Ruyi, who ran his own art colony in Noha, Spain. We invited Hetty, who ran paint a future we invited manfredo antonio manfredi who has a museum in naples italy <laughs> so i knew i said i can invite all these people and then everyone in wilmington the doors are going to open for these artists in wilmington you know and it was it happened you know fly went to spain to the colony harry taylor yeah fly. yeah dick dick and bonnie went to Rui or Gail went to Brazil. I mean, it was like, it was so incredible cause, because all those, you know, I've been in a couple shows in that museum and I know Gail has been too. But it's, it was that, you know, just making that pool bigger. The ripples make them go out and out and out and out. Well, that's something that like I've been learning more and more as I've gotten older, which I wish I had learned when I was younger, which is basically... It's, it's not like networking because that sounds too intentional, but it's connections. It's just people you meet for whatever reason that somehow enter your life that somehow end up being of some importance kind of thing is very important. And, and you know, like my thing is like, I'm great 
at meeting people. I'm so good at meeting yeah, people. You are good I'm a social that. butterfly. But I'm horrible with nurturing those relationships and continuing them. Like you and I are friends, but I haven't really spoken to you in 12 years. <laughs> but we made friends early on, but it's I'm really horrible at nurturing those. And it sounds like this scenario of like doing all this is about more than just meeting people. It's about like nurturing that and continuing the process beyond just the the residency times. Yes, and that I was I, I could go back to those first 3 years in Macedonia. And I still have like a, a really deep friendship with Sergei Andreski from Macedonia, and I've taken students. He started his own residency program in this village that was dying, and his father's a very famous poet, and he was born there. And they, that place is now a center of ecology and art. I mean, they have done so much for the environment there. His wife's very involved in the environment, and uh, I. Went to an arc. I went there as a resident, and then I took students there in 2011. Ten students who stayed in the village with the people that lived in that village, which was the most remarkable. Um, that alone was a remarkable learning experience. I had I had to, took students who'd never been on an airplane. You know, a boy from Burga who'd never been on an airplane, and now he's an artist with a studio. I mean, it just you wouldn't believe what these kids are doing now. And they they went there. They had three weeks. A week, uh, they had some time in Skopje, and then we were in this village, and they had they made art, and then we went out to see various other things, archaeological, you know, Roman f- tile floors, and things like that. It was just an amazing, an amazing experience for everybody involved, and that, and then I went back again in 2013 when he had a uh, anniversary, and gathered a bunch of artists back there but he he often comes here too he's been to the colony a few times and he stayed in our you know in our different homes at different times too but there's some friendships like that and he's recommended people to come here like leon patchett from scotland you know it's just um and then there's uh there are there's ganul nuhuglu from Istanbul is another really great friendship I have. Every time I go to Turkey, I, I'm with her. She even came when I had, I had I had cancer in 2005. One day I went home to my home and she's sitting on my porch. I mean, it's like that's gonna make me cry because there are some relationships I have because of all that that are incredible. They're really incredible. Some incredible people. She's an incredible artist too, and um, very interesting people. I fell in love with that part of the world too, the eastern part of the world. As a matter of fact, the No Boundaries. One of our main things was we were always going to invite Eastern Europeans to No Boundaries. Also from Bulgaria, Macedonia, Turkey. Right. Well, let's take that back a step, actually, because the, the the structure of who's involved in the residency, we didn't even sort of get to that because you do two different things at different years. Mm-hmm. One year is national uh, people that live sort of regionally locally mm-hmm. u.s space basically and then the opposing year is international where it's sort of half international half local is that correct yes and in the beginning we had about 26 artists over there you can believe in the two weeks in three we, houses 
what we did is we rotated. We had everybody we can get from Wilmington over there for three days, three days, three days. We just wanted to get as many local people over there as we could to meet people that were from other countries. And then we, that became kind of untenable at some point. When we let go of it and Beth ran, ran it, they did what we, not the first year, but then after that, what we had kind of come to, which was 12 people where everybody had a bed and there was some space on the porches and the houses to paint, you know, so it changed a little bit that way. The structure of choosing to do like one year locals and right. one year international it, it's interesting like i'm sort of i always sort of wondered because of course i was never well it was engaged. Like, it was why? expensive to do the international years okay wait so step that back a second so for the international people you paid for everything really their supplies their housing their food they didn't pay a dime except to get there because that's what was given to us in macedonia and then the locals, we asked for money to put groceries in the refrigerator, I remember. But it still was the housing, and there was still some, it was still a good thing. But then when Beth started working with the colony, she, they started having international people every year. But only one or two. Like, it'd be some, they, they would bring an alumni from No Boundaries, which was a good thing because they knew kind of the ropes. A few locals and one or two or three international people. So that's the way it goes now. And no boundaries. Okay, so the thing that I'm always fascinated about is sort of how do residencies select their artists? Or is this an open call? Is it invitation? What's your scenario on how you do this? In the first years, it was recommendations and invitation. In the last five or six years it's applying online and there's something to be said for recommendations you know we have they had I mean they had a really good bunch this last time because I was over there and I really enjoyed the artists there was two from Turkey actually I had recommended them there was a guy from Spain was he from Spain or South America but anyway he was really he was a really good painter I can't remember if there was anybody else from overseas, but they had all applied. And and now that's starting to get out there because I even said something. I went to the CAA and I met a, a painter there and I really enjoyed her work. So I went up and talked to her about, and she knew about No Boundaries. And I was supposed to send her some stuff, but I never had. I've got her, I've got her card. I'll have to send it to her. But so people know about it. And I think, and I, I remember I rented somebody in Ireland who said that they hadn't applied because it wasn't, there was no online application. They didn't want to do, you know, the younger people, they didn't want to do the handwritten thing. So there is, there is that on the online stuff now. Well, see, and what, what I always wonder, because I haven't done a lot of residencies in my life. I would love to do more, and I, I hope to be applying for more in the near future because I hear nothing but like good experiences, right. basically. Good, you know, whether the experience of the residency is good or bad is irrelevant, but the experience of doing it is always seems to it be jacks you. I mean, you you come the real art doesn't happen there; it happens after you've been there. Yeah, it's the ramifications it's like, of yeah, it. Yeah, it's like talking to people, thinking about things, right. looking at things in a different way. So, like, were you part of the application process? What do you mean? It, 
Well, the one thing I always wondered, like, oh, who juried? Basically, yeah, yeah. I was asked to jury one time. Well, because I always wonder when, from from the side of the jurors who are looking at it, what are what are you? What's the special thing you're looking for that differentiates somebody who should be there versus somebody who shouldn't be there? Like, is is it the work? Is it the statement? Is it their CV? Like, what's the what are the sort of higher? They did all that, Nate. They also ask for recommendations now too. I know there were two girls from Brooklyn that came, and they, I believe, Scott Reeland knew them before they came. So he had some insight into what they were doing. So it's good to have, there was a jury of five or so. It's good to have four or five because somebody who knows these people, other people may not get it. It's good to have a, a variety of people on the jury. Well, actually, wait, so like that, let's take that back a step because then that's an interesting part because a lot of residencies also talk about like they want painters or mm-hmm. they want sculptors. Mm-hmm. They're very like medium specific, mm-hmm. whereas No Boundaries is not medium specific at all. It was in the beginning. It was. Painters, yeah. Okay, well, that, made, that explains why I didn't getting, go in the beginning. And then it started, brand, and then we started seeing it needed to be more than that. But the, the thing was like clay was really very difficult. And Gail ended up doing lots of work in her studio to make sure it got, you know, got fired and all that after the colony. So that was laborious. But we did have this wonderful Serbian clay person. I mean, she was great. But well, I it was a the, lot of extra work for Gail. Well, the year I was there, I remember like Arrow was there and he brought his printer so he could print photographs while he was there. Mm-hmm. And there somebody brought a a monopress uh yeah to, i have was that you <laughs> that thing up there that one yeah yeah and, and people were doing monoprints mono uh, yeah. kind of thing so like the the meat by the time i sort of was aware of it and got engaged with it the 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 it expanded past that but that's sort of an important element is that like while it may have started as painters but the, you've transitioned so now you're open to more mediums and so there's a little bit more cross-disciplinary engagement right and and the environment is really part of it so like i can show you a couple of leon patchett's sculptures he was gathering sticks and he made these amazing things from wood he found you know and carved and so and he did some things with even with grasses in them, you know, that didn't last a long time, but really, really fascinating work. So there was a guy, the the husband of the woman who worked in clay, did relief prints. He just went and gathered things on the beach and glued them on a board and printed these relief things that were really wonderful. So the environment really is part of it. Luke Morelli put sand in his paint. And you know, people like Wayne and Sean got out in the elements and painted. Sean would be out there with a light on her head at night painting. No. Sean Best, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because, like, I remember being there, and like, some people were literally producing their work, like the things that were iconic of their style, such as Wayne McDowell. Whereas other people, like even I did this too, is I took it more as an inspirational sort of almost like resource collecting kind of time period. Mm-hmm. Maybe the way you sort of re- reference Gail where she sort of worked on things but didn't complete anything until mm-hmm. later kind of thing. And that's what I had to do because I 
worked with photography and I sort of worked there and, and discussed with other people and looked at techniques other people were using and things like this and then sort of completed a piece once I returned from it. So some people seem to use it as the place to make their work, whereas other people use it as a, a time to reflect and a time to sort of just expand the horizons in order to then return to their own lives and their own studios and then make something sort of inspired by it. You know, and I, I've always looked at it as a time to do something I don't ever do at home so I, when the first time I went to Macedonia I didn't take any images I didn't even think about it at the time I didn't take anything with me no business cards no nothing so nobody had any expectations at all on what I was going to do I'd never painted with oil paint I was painting with oil paint there and I was scraping whole paintings off and this guy from where was he from Aust Aust Austria I think he said I I've seen people wipe things up. I've never seen anybody do what you're doing. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it wasn't your medium. Mm -mm. Yeah. But I was learning something. And then I went in this thing too that I did. I did this in Ireland. I did it over at Baldhead. I'd say, okay, I'm gonna make indigenous collages. I can't buy anything or bring anything. I have to find it all here. You know, and which was fun too. You know, doing things like that that I don't normally do. I think it's good. It's a good exercise because sometimes I'll see that when I'm painting, like I'm, oh, I'm doing this the same way I've I've done it before. I need I need to think about that. And, you know, I don't want to get in a habit of doing solutions. It's certain solutions every single time. You got to change it up, and that's a good way to change it up to see what other people are doing to change up your way your way of working or your materials or yeah, for me, it was. I'd like that freedom of. It's almost like nobody knows who you are. You just go there and you make something different. Yeah, see, like when I apply for a residency, I have this fear. It's this totally irrational fear because nobody has ever said this to me. It's all in my head that. When I apply, generally they say like, "What what kind of project do you plan on working on while you're there?" And like, I get this horrible fear that. If I write an application and I say I'm going to do this thing, and then for whatever reason I don't do that thing, <laughs> that they're going to be angry with me. No, I know, but it's totally in me. No, I totally get it. I know that. So it's 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 a very irrational thing, mostly because I've never done one. So like, so I'm sort of like, oh shit, I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to you know hurt my reputation because I sort of promised to do something and I didn't deliver, kind of thing. Like that's a hard. That's hard for me to get past when applying for residencies. Well, I, I got, I'll tell you something funny. So when I w when first went to Macedonia that first time, I was like, when I got asked, I thought, it was like the Groucho Marx thing, you know, if I got invited, then it's not going to be very good. Yeah, there is and a little I, of that. Yeah, yeah I mean, and yeah. I got over there, and I was like, holy shit, these people are the real thing. I was like sort of freaking out, you know, about what they're going to expect of me, you know, and was I going to measure up? You know, there was, yeah, yeah definitely I understand that. I felt the same way. I feel like it most days in general, yeah. but, you <laughs> yeah. know. But yeah, I have those days quite a bit too. Yeah, specifically when I write grant, residency right, grants right, or something right. like that. Like, ugh. Yeah. All right. So let's sort of wrap this up a little bit. So you have a lot of experiences. Like you've done lots of residencies. You've, you've founded a, an artist studio. You've, you've created and run a, an artist residency program. And you were also a tenured professor as well. So, like, from your 
<laughs> from your ex- your vast experiences, <laughs> what, in my old age, I, well, that was my polite way of saying. It. <laughs> what, um, do you have any sort of like things that you wish you knew when you were younger? Oh my God, I t- we we have interns from the UNCW that come over for No Boundaries, and they're blown away. And I would I can't even imagine if that had happened to me when I was in college. I just can't even imagine it. What what would it have done? What would I have? How would it have changed things, you know? I mean, my path's pretty good, but it's like, you know, that that would have been incredible. I, I can't even imagine having that door open wait, at that okay, age. Yeah, I was going to say, go back a step. When, how old were you when you did, like, your first residency? 39. Yeah, okay, so a little later in life than, yeah. than a lot of the yeah. kids these days. Yeah. Like, because I've met... I met this couple from Israel that they literally uh, six to eight months a year just bounce around Europe residency to residency and they have no permanent residence. Like, I'm like, how do you do that? I've seen that too. I get so tickled because there's this guy. Oh, I can't think of his name now. And everybody knows him, you know, because he you goes know to this every guy. Residency. Yeah, because he's in every colony. And sometimes I see all these people like whooping it up everywhere and I'm thinking, do they ever go home? <laughs> No, there are some of them that literally do not have homes know, to go to. It's miraculous. I know in some it ways. is. It is. It's a gypsy life. It is. Yeah, it's fascinating. But I mean, you know, but they're every, yeah, they're with their tribe, though. You know, there is a there is a beautiful sense to it, and I kind yeah. of admire it and respect it in some ways. But on the other hand, I'm a bit of a homebody, and I like my studio. And well, I like, like coming home. I love going, but I always love coming home too. Yeah. All right. So. Advice for future next generation people. What's you know, as a sister, what's something that like you know now that you sort of wish you knew then? Don't listen to no. <laughs> I if I wanted to go to graduate school at University of Chicago. And good school. Yeah, and I didn't even know how to take slides. I didn't know how you were supposed to take professional slides. I had no clue. I had nobody to help me with that in college, which is really sad that there was no, no like sort of. Photographer friend. Back, yeah, and back then it was like you made art and you don't make money. You know, um, it was that. Sadly, it's yes. still like that. Well, it's really s- silly because you, you, there are some practical things you do need to know before you get out there. And I, a practical course of how to take slides, how to frame on the cheap, how to... Okay, wait, just to be clear, taking slides is not a thing anymore. No, I know, back then, no, I mean now, but digital, of course, but but any of that, you know, how to, where do you spend your money and where do you learn how to do it? I'm a huge advocate. I I am so disappointed in my education that I received because they, they taught me skills they taught me philosophy they taught me all kinds of great things craftsmanship all this i'm i'm very thankful for all of that me too but the thing they didn't teach me and the thing that i think nobody is generally sort of emphasizing enough in academia is how to make a living at it yes i agree and that's sort of what this podcast is trying to do i'm trying to give little tidbits of, of experiences that people have to try and assist people in finding better more efficient ways to be more successful in their own individual careers yeah for me i think that you know i just i think it's my i chose the life of an artist so it's like pretty it's all of it you know and the way i live and the, what i wanted to do and some of it was to give and some of it was to get inspired or 
like with my students, I love teaching my students. And I, this, the, that reverberation of energy is they get something from me and I get something from them. It's, it doesn't go one way. It's, and that's what I enjoy about it. I enjoy seeing, I want to help kids who are really interested in living that way and doing, doing art and getting out in the world with it. I, I'd love to be around young Young yeah, people like we, that. But we need to give them more of a business toolbox. Yes, box. I agree with that. Like being, yeah. I've, at the schools I've taught at, it's always been just one course, one semester mm-hmm. that they call generally like professional practices, mm-hmm. which is this vague in, in introduction mm-hmm. of like, oh, be sure to have a website. Be sure to have yeah. a CV that looks presentable. And that's about it. Wouldn't it be good to, good to leave school with all that stuff in your hands? Well, and we did that, but it was only one semester of it. Like, yeah. I, I think there should be like contract mm-hmm. law. There should be, you know, like yeah. I mean, intellectual property knowledge, like just right. knowing this kind of stuff, like whether you're getting into the fine arts or the commercial arts, because like if you're going to be a graphic designer, damn, you better well know the intellectual and property taxes, laws. how to keep track of expenses. Nobody and... ever showed me any of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. I still don't actually know how to do that. No, I'm not good at it either. Michael Van Howe is very good at you that. You are aware you do the taxes for Acme, and you said that earlier. <laughs> well, I have somebody that I, I give them the books. They do the tax work. I okay. don't know. So you keep the receipts. Yes. Okay. I'm the, I'm the, yeah, like the cashier. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I wish academia, academia sort of found, was able to find a better balance of that skills and craft versus professionalism and business. At UNCW, there was a time when they were doing these clusters of things together, and there was a way, it was, you know, the ideal thing was if you could take a course in entrepreneurism and business and art, but it just didn't, it never panned out. Entrepreneurism was just like a buzzword like 10 years ago. Well, I did all that. I didn't get educated to do it, but... Yeah. <laughs> that's what I did in a way you but know it, it's difficult like I want to know that the next generation is better prepared than I was yeah like I feel like I you know as I said like I got a certain amount of a great education but I got a, an abysmal amount of a different education well to go back to that going, wanting to go to school at the art school in Chicago I would tell a student if you really want to go there get up there get a waitress job Start taking night classes. Get in you, you local push tuition. Push your way into that. No, get in-state tuition. Yeah, and just appear, 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 work, work, work until you've pried those doors open if you really, really want that. You might not get it, but it's like I wish somebody had told me, I don't know, I just didn't have the confidence to push at the doors. None that of us you, do. When I was young. I was uh, more intim- I'm always been sort of intimidated in a way, but not as I've gotten older. I think my experience has taught me that if you want to make something happen, sometimes you just have to make it happen. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. Not in the arts. No. No, nobody's going to do anything on and your when, behalf. When we were about to do No Boundaries, I watched Anthony Hopkins on the, you know, that, thing they do at the school where he gets interviewed inside the actor's studio yes yes and I, I saw him and he had problems with addiction and all this but then he was about 50 and he and he was getting the plum rolls of his life and he says sometimes you just got to step out into the air 
And if you're meant to do it, the gods will rise up under you. And I, I've all, I thought of that so many times about no boundaries. It, you know, if the community wants it, it'll be there. The minute when it's not important anymore, it won't be. But you know, it's important to artists. It's it's important for the community still. And I and I'm so glad I don't have to. You know, I'm surprised that Gail and Dick and I have relationships left <laughs> because we really sometimes went through the ringer and panicked and, uh, you know, with some, some crazy stuff, you know, that you had a, problems that arose and right. m- money not there and, uh, you know, having to ask somebody to leave, things like that. You know, really there's lots of things that come along and a partnership like that and, we did it for 20 years, and the and here at Acme, we've done that 30 years, which is pretty amazing, really. It's uh, to me, it's very amazing that you've been able to have Acme Yard, keep it, and maintain it, and like you know, it's, it's one of those things. Like a lot of times, when you think of artist studios in certain parts of like major metropolitan cities and stuff like that, like they have like a meteoric sort of rise of like ooh the young trendy people are here and then it sort of falls off pretty quickly or or the the artists move in and then suddenly the neighborhood gets gentrified because the artists that's moved in. happened here and it and then well but then the artists get kicked out basically mm-hmm. like they the can't. taxes start rising that's right yeah <laughs> whereas like you've been able to sustain this for 30 years and yeah. like you haven't lost your edge you know you haven't sort of like floundered out and you also haven't been pushed out in any way which is a pretty amazing thing because well the other thing too is not homogenized the art's all different in here i don't know if you've noticed that or not but that's something a lot of people notice. Yeah, I've Do seen they, yeah, three, three metal sculptors, probably five painters, five uh, or more painters a, at this point. A, a, a there was a similar jar. She just moved out. But in the back, there's a filmmaker. And, um, and some photographers. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we yeah. got a good no. range. Let me, in fact, I have written down here, because at one point, for, the, for, the, for Acme, I looked up how many artists there were at Acme. And so in 2011, there had been 133 artists. So so that's 1991 till 2000. So that's 20 years. You had 130 different artists come through. Right. 131 artists. And so there's more than that. Painters, printmakers, assemblage artists, illustrators, sculptors, jewelry makers, movie set designers, costume designers, photographers, filmmakers, potters, fiber artists, conceptual artists, art students. We have rented space to a cowboy boot artisan, a blacksmith, a boat builder, a frame maker, a paper maker, an artist who made wall hangings from skateboards, a gym cutter, a couple of musicians, cabinet makers, a nurse who burned a Barbie doll installation at Burning Man. The Art Council of the Lower Cape Fear occupied a space rent-free for half a year. Acme offered No Boundaries International Art Colony exhibition space and storage for their collection. The open space hosted theater practice for Level 5, Opera House, and ad hoc theater groups, and rented space for movie making. I mean, it was everything. And we just, a bunch of us just ruined stuff for Scream 5. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Way, but- in fact, there was a scene in here with Amy Irving. I don't even remember the name of the film, but it was over there. Nice. And and we weren't allowed in. (laughs) Yeah, Screen Gems being here is very nice for that kind of stuff. No, it has been great. What's what's the so? What do you see for for the future? 
like so is is are you just going to keep running acme and you're you're no longer on the board of of no, no boundaries. boundaries correct mm-hmm. okay no. so you're just wishing them well and moving on right <laughs> and i've been over there as alumni but yeah it's great it's fine yeah. um so i mean i, I was wondering so like you've got this great facility and all that and you've also got this nice little yard here like so are you ever going to like expand or do anything more or is it are you just like i think we're fine we did talk with joe rowan from summerhill at one point about doing a gallery satellite gallery out here in the back we've talked to a couple people about having our own gallery but it's just you know, and even in here, but it's just, you have to, it's just so much involved in that. Oh, no, no, no. not yeah. about doing a gallery, it's like, expanding no, more, more and we studios. Th- well, we thought about doing that and making a sort of a residency place, too. And we did own the house, a couple of houses down, but we sold it. I don't see that. I see, there's one thing that Dick did after No Boundaries that was kind of neat. It was a, a petite studio, atelier. So mm-hmm. he had like two or three foreign artists here staying in different people's houses and gal and i've talked had also been interested in maybe doing that with him just have two or three one work in his studio one in my studio one in her studio put them up and just have our own thing like that here Uh, something simple but i don't see any uh and i don't see any real what's interesting too is there's no stampede to put a for sale sign out here either which is very interesting because some people are getting we're getting older you know but i don't know i don't make judgments like that yeah it's no it's as long as we can be here and do what we're doing and people seem to enjoy being here and doing what they do and i think the the community is happy to have us here they're they're doing a i don't know if Rhonda talked to you about but they're doing a new they're going to run a rail and they're doing this park, uh-huh. which we all talked about when we got this building, you know, yep. a long time ago. So, and I was even talking to Ned today about that. So, there's going to be some really interesting opportunities, I think, for art along the pathway and for to really revitalize this neighborhood more, all which right. would be great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Sure. Sure.